On this episode of the show, I sat down with Leela Lieberman. Leela was introduced to me by mutual friends of ours, um, and I was really grateful to them for introducing us. Uh, Leela's a really fascinating woman. Um, I believe she originally comes from South Africa. Uh, she spent a long time in Australia, um, and we talked about her background, about uh, when she was quite young, 18, uh, living in South America, and ending up uh, experiencing some of the um, traditions there, especially the cactus tradition and, and working with ayahuasca in the Peruvian Amazon, which really, uh, I think, began to open her up. And when she went back to South Africa, beginning to um, uh, maybe discover or become um, uh, immersed in some of the local traditions there, the, the Zulu tradition and the Shona tradition, um, and which really began to open her up, as she says, uh, to, to become a vessel for these medicines, kind of a, as an antenna was one of the words she used. Um, and she's a really fascinating woman. Um, she has a really beautiful ability to weave different ideas and traditions into something that's very digestible. Um, so we, we spoke about a lot of things, about her background, about what she describes as the five pillars of medicine and uh, teachings that she very interestingly received received from the cedar tree. So it's a very beautiful conversation. There, there's a lot of information that she shares. Um, you know, you can probably even listen to this a couple times to really uh, go deep into what she said. But um, uh, I think it's a really fascinating interview. And, and she's a really beautiful woman who's just uh, has a really beautiful ability to share. So I think and hope you all will gain a lot from this episode. Um, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. It's a website. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, and there's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. Um, one of the things I really like about that site is it's very much uh, I think built upon these ideas of, of reciprocity, which we, we spoke about. So uh, if you feel like you're gaining something from the podcast, being able to give back and then also being able to, to receive something from that as well. Uh, if you're not able to do that, um, as always, um, just helping with some of the small things like the algorithms makes a really big difference. So if you're viewing on this or YouTube or Rumble, uh, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos, those, uh, those things are really big help. Leaving any questions or comments in the comment section. And then with the audio versions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, also following the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review is also a really big help. So I think that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Leela. Okay, good. 
Well, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Leela. Um, we were talking a little before we started, and uh, we we share some mutual friends who I, I think we can give a shout out to um, Alexander and Aliona. And it was actually Aliona who um, recommended that I reach out to you. Um, and I listened to a few of your talks. I mean, one, I just, I, I, I trust them very much. So uh, they, they had heaps of, of praise on you. So I, I trust them. But, but then I listened to a few of your talks and and um, I, I really resonated with, with what you were talking about. So um, maybe some of the audience listening to this has, has heard of you or, or is familiar with you, but I, I would imagine there's, there's at least some who, who aren't. Um, so maybe to start, you could just uh, say a little bit about yourself, who you are, your background, where you're from, um, maybe a, a little bit of a, a story of your life and, and, and really kind of what led you to become interested in, in this work that you're doing. I'm South African originally, and I've just come back from living seven years in Australia, just in the Byron Shire, in the of Byron, which has been really a beautiful, powerful country, and I feel like it's seeded a lot, which I'm now starting to see the fruit of. And to share a little of my story with regard to how I came to be where I am now with my work would be soon after school, look, I always had interest in other cultures and my family's interested in other cultures and going on holiday and always to nature and different tribal communities and getting familiar. But um, soon after school, I went to an exchange trip to South America. And halfway through the exchange, it was supposed to be a year, but halfway through, I started feeling it was a bit conservative and I wanted to explore more widely. So I left Chile and I went traveling through Bolivia into Peru. And that's when I spontaneously started meeting um, teachers, I suppose, that the plants come to meet me through teachers. And the whole journey kind of prepared me to be open and receptive to that. And so I met the plant teachers and I got trained in certain ways of how to hold ceremony. This was in the, in the mid-90s. So I met some beautiful teachers, some really renowned shamans who weren't yet well-known. So it was quite humble and close to the ground and very accessible. It wasn't big ceremonies. It was really lovely. And um, that was before university. So I felt like I got a real education before I got my academic education. And I think, you know, there's sacred times on the lifespan of a human where we ought to be going through a rite of passage or some kind of ritual that ignites our growth, like a plant. If you trim it at the perfect node, then the energy redirects itself and then flower more fully. In Western culture, we don't have this so much, but often it happens spontaneously. And 18 is a particular age. So to be on the other side of the world at 18 and experiencing these beautifully held ancient ways of reawakening and re-remembering deeper states of consciousness was perfect before I went into academia because it opened my paradigm to be more uh, fluid, more realizing that there's more than one way to perceive reality, which is very important. Because I see us like archaeology. And as, as the river of our energy and our childhood flows, as we get older, it gets a, collects sediment and, and mud and minerals from the world and can atrophy and slow down and then cake and become mud. And, and if we don't keep it fresh, it can actually bake in the sun and be quite rigid. So it's nice to keep the paradigm fresh, and I believe that's a large part of what the rites of passage and ceremonies are about, the continual reawakening, the continual uh, keeping you on your toes. So that was a great time for me to have this experience. 
And soon after I came back, the traditional medicine people of South Africa, called Sangoma, they would see me, a number of people across a few years, all saying the same thing. You had no connection to each other. They would see me and they would tell me, I have a calling and I need to train. I remember the first time it happened, this woman dressed in beads and, and, and bones and cloth. She made a beeline for me. She saw me on the other side of the road and she made a beeline for me and she came to tell me that I must train and I have a calling. And it was a bit overwhelming for me then in my early 20s, but it was noted. And I didn't pursue it. I just found it really interesting. But the message came to me again and again. So what we call this in Africa is a calling sickness, a twasa sickness. Twasa is the word for initiation. And it literally means there's several interpretations, but one of them is to blossom. So it's a, initiating is to blossom the being. So when we get a calling and we don't respond to it, the wisdom, the technology of the ancestry and the wisdom of our own soul make it really difficult for us to ignore. So it creates the sickness, which can be physiological or psychological or circumstantial that forces us to go and seek a healer to help us reflect and remedy what's going on. And often that healer will be able to see, oh, this is not a sickness, this is a calling and you need to train, which happened. And of course, once again, I stalled and stalled for a long time. But nonetheless, I found a beautiful Zulu mother and daughter who I worked with for a long time and did all kinds of ancestral healing and remedying and ceremonies at the ocean and in the forest and on the mountain and all these beautiful cleansings of my body and of my home. And uh, the Zulu way was very intense and very different to how I'd grown up. So I stalled on initiating with them. But I could tell that that was a consistent message whenever I had a reading with them or anyone related to them. And uh, eventually that calling got firm enough that I couldn't ignore it. And it so happened that I stumbled without question upon somebody in my path right in front of me who was going to be the right teacher, given that I was refusing to do it the, the old way. And... Um, took me through the initiation process in quite a new and novel way. So all the same gateways, but in a new skin. And what I noticed and what I learned in there is hopefully a lot of the things that we'll cover today. And I noticed how moving through those ceremonial gateways cleansed and blossomed the levels of my consciousness so that I realized that to be human really is to be an antenna and to go through initiation and all these rites that we do with the plants and with the ceremonies and with the ancestors is to clean the inside of the antenna, to be like a hollow bone. And once we do this, we can start to tune into the frequencies that are appropriate for us to start getting knowledge. And the more we refine our container, the more higher the frequencies we can magnetize to us because the universe is magnetic. So if we cultivate our being, we will start to magnetize. It's electromagnetic. We'll start to electrically and electrifyingly magnetize the knowledge that is our birthright in many ways, and I'll, I'll address that in the talk. But in a nutshell, that's how I came to go through all the rites and passage, while at the same time, in tandem, parallel, doing an academic degree and honours degree in transpersonal psychology and, and philosophy, anthropology, linguistics, and then uh, I put that into practice as a coach. I found that coaching was more empowering than, than straight therapy and ran some programs, ran some programs in rehab, started to look at the underside of substances because I couldn't show the medicinal side of substances. So, you know, life was educating me in quite a robust way. And through time, just learning different skills has, has um, granted me a lot of blessings because what happened after the initiation, we have different skills 
natively, we come to the planet with different gifts. And when we go through initiation, that process cleans us so that those gifts can start to flower inside of us. And some of us might have just a, a natural gift with plants, working with plants and formulae and being able to tell who's that person and where are they at and what plant formulae do they need to balance them and open their connection to the ancestrals and balance what was un left undone, the ancestry. And uh, some people are a medium. They can channel an ancestor of theirs to read the ancestral field of yours. Some people are perfect diagnosticians and others are more what's referred to as uh, have prophetic capacity so they don't necessarily need to go into trance but they can just receive information and I landed up being in this latter category where I just started after initiation to receive bodies of knowledge and information from the world around me through trees through rivers cloud streams and um, I'm sure many of us have these gifts but of course going through initiation amplifies the capacity and the access we have so it's been an amazing gift for me, not only to go through this process and, and witness this flowering in different areas of myself, but to be able to mirror that to my community and remind us that this is our birthright. This is what we're here to do. And we can just cleanse ourselves, just simply prepare ourselves and naturally things will start to blossom within. So that's just like a double gift. The bodies of knowledge that I've received, I can share in and of themselves, but I'm also sharing the reminder that we are innately equipped to be these antenna in ourselves and everyone will be able to hold a unique flavor as they prepare themselves. So you, you mentioned these kind of significant moments in our lives at, at certain ages and you said around 18 you began this journey from Chile into Bolivia and then, and then Peru. Um, was there something in that journey or in Peru that, that, that you feel specifically touched you or, or began to open you in some way? Yeah, it feels like the journey was impeccably laid out and that I got to go and live in Chile with a family and go to school and learn Spanish and get familiar. So I was a ringa, but I was also now adept at the lay of the land. Traveling through Peru, Bolivia, it was quite, um, I, and I was far from home, I was really young, and it was, it was quite, I think I experienced quite a lot of depression, which in hindsight I saw as like a cleansing of my vessel, so I felt quite empty. So by the time I arrived in Peru and I spontaneously met someone who took me to learn about the cactus and go into the desert and practice these arts, and then I went to the jungle to meet a maestro shaman and drink with him, um, those were really the significant moments that flowered the expanded states that reminded me. It was beautiful that it happened in that order, first the cactus and then the ayahuasca. Um, but looking back, the entire journey had prepared that. You know, when, when spirit wants to grow us and evolve us, it does so in stealth mode. So it often only makes sense in retrospect. Yeah, but just doing the plants in their context, doing the cactus in the Atacama Desert and being with the ayahuasca in Tarapotam, in the jungle, was perfect because it's not just the plant, it's the context and the geomagnetic architecture that's holding you and, and the bodies of those around you and the knowledge within which they grew. So we get to experience the full alkaloids of that plant, including where they come from. Yeah, it's very special. Also to mention significantly, I took I was studying Tibetan Buddhism at the same time, which was amazing to be relearning, remembering, just reigniting 
awareness of this culture that has this impeccable science of consciousness and having that as a map as I was witnessing my consciousness moving into different realms. So I was lucky in that I was held in a container and a context and both with the teacher and with these teachings to be able to have a context for the shifts and expansions and, cha and changes that I was witnessing inside myself. I, I would imagine most people listening to this are are maybe somewhat familiar with with like the cactus with wachuma or ayahuasca, but is there anything more you could kind of speak about those two plants? I mean, it can be personal, but it doesn't have to be personal, but just maybe things you saw or or things you learned um, with those plants and but also maybe kind of as you were saying, like the, the context, the, the, the culture that, that surrounded those as well. By looking at how it's structured. So when we look at the cactus, for example, it grows in the desert, and it grows up slowly, really still. And then in the darkness of night, it flowers. So it's slow in this, in this stillness, in this practice of stillness. It's almost like a Zen master. It brings in the night, in the shadow, in the unseen, this flowering of awareness. Ayahuasca, on the other hand, spirals up the vine, spirals up from the bottom of this chaotic, noisy, colorful, crowded jungle to reach the top of the canopy. And that's very symbolic, as well as taking leaves that are witnessing all of this and collecting all this information, holding all these visions together. So it's these visions with this intention of spiraling up and evolving in our consciousness. So watching how the plants follow their form, the purpose follows its form, was very significant. Um, the first thing I remember noticing when I first took the cactus was becoming so still and we were in the desert which is perfect it's really nice to do the plant in its context especially the first time we were in the desert and i became so still that everything else was vibrating and so i could see through everything and almost vibrated and pixelated and i could see the grid behind everything the energetic grid and how things are running on these lines that merge and meet and everything happens for a reason and we're seeing knitting behind reality and um with the Ayahuasca, the first journey, I remember that spiraling upwards, that spiraling from different levels of consciousness. First, I landed up going down into what was quite chaotic and, and um, dungeon-like and then purging. And that felt like something had flushed in my being. And then I started coming up through the body, into the heart and feeling, into the mind, into belief, into knowing, and then just flying in pure consciousness. So really in my body and my experiencing and witnessing the medicine of those plants in a very visceral way, in a very way that I embodied their form. I embodied the stillness of the cactus and then the flowering of awareness happened in the unseen aspects of my consciousness. And I embodied moving through the crowded, uh, chaotic part of my life that hadn't been tended yet because I hadn't done this work yet. Luckily, I was 18 and wasn't, uh, I was still quite malleable and fluid. And um, just purging what needed to be purged there and then slowly moving up through the realms and seeing the more and more refined and, and subtle and then um, 
absolute level of consciousness. Yeah, so that was a real, a real gift to witness how we embody the plants and we are the plants and we merge. And as we come together in a ceremony, we become plant and that plant becomes human and we meet in this alchemy of the apothecary of what is the human body. So a lot of the teachings that have come to my awareness since have, have fleshed it out more. And we'll talk more about my body of work soon, I'm sure. Um, but before we get there, the one thing I'd love to mention when you talk about plants and did I notice anything significant is in the latter years, as I went on and I started to work more deeply with tobacco and bringing that into ceremonies with cactus, it started to teach me. I started with my own dieta with the plant as it instructed me, do this dieta, do it this many days with a mapacho and then write down everything I say. And after I did that for a number of days, I was just resting, it came to me and said, oh, that knowledge I gave you, it's not just for you. Please share it. So designed a workshop, or shall I say the spirit of tobacco, designed a workshop that I shared on the gifts of tobacco. And as I worked more and more deeply with tobacco and done dietas and uh, come into more in, intimate contact with it, it's become more like my main teacher and my best friend and guide, it certainly feels like this is a wise plan to have initially before you go into deeper meetings with other plants. It's a beautiful gatekeeper. It's, a, it's shared with me that it's the diplomat of the plant kingdom and it acts like a dendrite between communications and different, like if, if there's a neural pathway of communication, tobacco is the one that makes it a fluid meeting, whether it's between human and human and many traditions have used tobacco to calm and bring clarity and intelligence to meetings, important council meetings, or whether it's between human and plant or human and animal. This beautiful plant is so adept at being the one that can meet with everyone. So he is the diplomat, he is the gatekeeper, he's the one who cleans and protects and grounds and balances. So this is a very nice friend to have as an ally before going into the deep world. It's a nice container to have. So that's a key lesson that I've come to have in my life. And I know you would agree, I know you would find the same in a little share of your story. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting um, uh, one of my teachers who I have a lot of respect for his his name and and more so his title is Emika. He, he comes from a group of people in the Colombian Amazon called the Tubu, and they have these beautiful stories. Um, um, they're very long, <laughs> but but uh, and so I, I'm not going to do the story any justice, but but. Just very briefly, it, it, it was this idea that eons ago humanity was suffering, and and kind of this this star being intelligence, and interestingly, the the star system Sirius heeded this call of the suffering of humanity, and they transcended the twelve dimensions of time and space on this primordial anaconda canoe, and on this canoe they they brought all of these these sacred plants. Uh, to help people remember who they are and where they come from, because they saw that's why people were suffering. And interestingly, kind of as you were pointing towards the the, the first plant in that canoe was was tobacco, and and it's described in a in a very similar way. When when you were eighteen and and kind of embarking on this journey, um, you know, I, I think it's quite rare for someone that age to to have maybe an awareness of, of these plants or their own depression, their own suffering, uh, or, you know, it, even just to be able to put it in words like that. And and then also to have that interest in plants. And especially I, I would imagine at that time there, there wasn't 
the same level of information about those things that there is now. Was that something that you were actively looking for or searching, or was it something that that you weren't and and somehow came into your your field? what What was that calling to begin working with those those plants? I wasn't actively looking. The plants snuck up on me as they have done again and again in my life, different plants with different teachings. But I was aware of them because my older brother, who was ten years older than me, had gone to South America when he was 20. And he was a macro photographer, but very much a pioneer in the field. And, and those people familiar with Iboga might be familiar with him. His name's Dan Lieberman. And he was one of the first to go to West Africa and get initiated and bring that information to the West, just as the knowledge was coming out that it was useful in, in helping with opiate addiction. And he was very generous in taking people to be initiated there and selling seeds and, and bringing this awareness, doing slideshows. So before that, well before that, he was in South America, walking in the jungle, taking pictures of spiders and frogs and walking for days, just doing his thing, this adventurous 20-year-old, just with a backpack. And one day he stumbled upon a maloka. And there was a shaman sitting who said to him, what took you so long? I've been calling you towards me for about four days. And uh, that happened to be Don Agustin Rivas. And so he was just in this simple open maloka in the jungle. And he worked with my brother, training him in ayahuasca for some time. Well, I'm not sure how long, but it was significant enough for my brother to be um, immersed, come back somewhat to seep in this knowledge. And I was 10 at the time, but obviously the knowledge of the plant came to me. And uh, he also told me then that he knew from the plant that he was going to die young. And he even knew when, he just wasn't allowed to say. And as it happened several years later, or a decade or so later, um, the day after we were in Washunga Cactus um, Ceremony together, on his 33rd birthday, he exited the plane via car accident. But he always knew that was going to happen. So that was very impeccable and very beautiful couching to hold the pain of that last thing was this, this knowing from another realm that that was seeded and planted in time with impeccability. So I knew about the plants from when I was 10. My sister went shortly after him, so it was familiar to me. So when I was in Peru and got invited, it wasn't the first knowledge. I just wasn't pursuing it. But I knew, okay, I've been told about these things, and here they are personally inviting me. I think I'm meant to go to this meeting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So... Then after South America, you you come back to to South Africa, and you mentioned that there was kind of these serendipitous events where people would come up to you, the, these native people uh, within the local traditions there, saying that that there was something in you that you needed to go into. Um, I mean, I would imagine having those those experiences with with Wachuma and ayahuasca were were quite beneficial in that at least it wasn't something that was super foreign to you. That that there was maybe something that you were familiar with. What was it about the the the, the Zulu tradition that? I mean, th these questions are always a little tricky because there's always this symbiosis that's happening. But but that you chose it or, or it chose you, but, but what was it about that tradition that, that, that finally resonated and said, I like, I, I want to go into this. I, I, mm -hmm. there's something here for me that that's calling me. 
Yeah. Well, I never wanted to go into it. You don't need to enter this kind of training by choice. And even though I had worked with this beautiful mother and daughter Zulu team for maybe 10 years, quite intensively until we became like family, I didn't actually do the initiation with them. I remember the one day they had a prophet who had come down from Lesotho and um, we were in Cape Town, we lived in Cape Town. And they said to me, like, play fed up with me. Oh, we're not doing any more readings. If you want a reading, it's always the same every time. You need to train, you're overdue. Go have a reading with this prophet. And I had a reading with him, and the way he said the same things in a different language with the same message opened something in me because it let me realize that it wasn't about me. He said to me, until you train, the people who would come to you for healing or whatever messages they need, they, that need your particular flavor of medicine, they're not going to go and find another healer in the meantime. They're just going to remain sick. And that really helped a penny drop in me, that it's not about me. And it was the same when the Washuma asked me, if, at one point earlier, Ayahuasca asked me, would you like to be asked, Ayahuasca, I'll train you. I was like, no thanks, all good. And she was like, no problem, off you go. And then the cactus did the same thing, would you like to hold circle? No thanks. And he was like, too bad. So I landed up having to train. It was a series of events that had me land up holding ceremony in circles for many years and um, it was in the first circle that I ran for a very intimate group of friends I decided to take a very strong dose by myself on the, on the mountaintop before I dare hold for anyone else went through a very beautiful cleansing deep process you know moments of being scary moments of being completely revelatory but a very thorough process so then I knew whatever I was about to encounter and holding circles with others I had been through myself so the first circle was very small and it was, again, I got the same message in that very first circle. It's not about you. I didn't want the responsibility of being a healer or being a ceremonialist. I realized that was just my mind. It's not about Leela being anything. It's just about cleansing my vessel so that I am able to hold a certain frequency and then moving out the way so that that frequency can be held by tobacco or by washuma or by the ancestors that want to come through me and, and read for my clients. So that was a really beautiful teaching in that it was humbling, it was a relief, and it got rid of any idea that I had that I had to do something. It wasn't about doing. It's about relaxing into a non-doing so that what wants to come through can come through uninhibited. So to get that message in many places, the same message was very useful. So after I got that reading from that prophet that came from the Sutu, something in me started to say, okay, I'd better say yes. But when you have a, a calling sickness, it doesn't just let up. It just gets more and more stubborn. So eventually, you know, I had um, befriended and started doing some Santo Daimi circles, which wasn't really my way, but it was very informative and educational for me to be able to sit up and have the lights on and sing and, and move and read. It was helpful for me to participate in further ceremonies, helping the, the shaman. And um, In, in one of those meetings, and I met a woman who was going to be my teacher. So she actually landed up being trained in the Shona lineage, which is a softer lineage. It comes from Mozambique, well, the lineage that she was trained in. She's actually trained both in the Zulu and the Shona lineage. And it comes from Mozambique, but I landed up being in that, trained in that lineage, which is a lot more soft and a lot more feminine. Even though you go through the same gateways and the same procedures, the midwifery of it was softer. The Zulu way is very warrior way. It was a beautiful way. And I've come to realize subsequently in life that 
the passage you go through in your initiation, how you step over the threshold of your, your consciousness, your own consciousness, your own birthright, it doesn't really matter what clothing you're wearing. In other words, it doesn't really matter what culture you do it through, especially because we have lost our own access to our own ancestral knowledge and ways of doing it. Then we can borrow another. It doesn't matter what garb we were wearing as long as we step over the threshold. So, as I say, we learn a lot in retrospect, but um, it was whatever needed to birth me to the other side of that threshold was, was very useful. Yeah. Can can you speak um, maybe but with both of those just a, a a little bit because I'm 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 not familiar really with with those lineages and and I would imagine a lot of the audience isn't either and and again I, I know these are difficult questions but maybe if there's anything you can share that gives a little context maybe about the history or or what that looks like or or certain worldviews or kind of what 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 that entails a little bit what what it looks like just to give a little bit of, of flavor to it yeah absolutely so there's several lineages in south africa and i think zulu is one of the more famous ones it's famous for being warriors and the shields and the skins and and um it is a very warrior nation it's quite it's got a lot of yang energy you know and how they train is with that energy as well uh shona is a lot softer and both of them have the masculine and feminine ways of training. The the um, water, the mandao and the nguni, the so we've got the masculine and the feminine, the, the warrior and the soft ways running parallel. And in a nutshell, without going into the terminology in many African terms, what African medicine is really about and what many indigenous medicines are really about is about taking care of our energetic field, which is largely made up of our ancestral inheritance. So in Africa, it's largely in this way. And I will speak shortly about knowledge that I've received subsequently through, after my initiation, I started receiving a lot of knowledge that um, gives a bit of a fuller picture from my own perspective of where else we can get support and memory and teachings. It's not solely the ancestors. But these lineages are really about keeping good connection with the ancestry because this is a way of record keeping. This is a way of keeping the memory alive. And especially in times where there's been a colonialism and uprooting and brutality, a lot of our knowledge gets lost because the vessel that carries that knowledge, in other words, the culture and the rites and the traditions and the ceremonies that carries that neural pathway of memory and knowing gets disrupted. So we do ceremonies to invoke the ancestors to remember what we knew and also to remember the laws that keep that structure in good harmony. So if there are certain things that are out of accord with our ancestry, how can we balance them? How can we bring remedy to the ancestors in the ancestral field and give them the attention and energy and love and nurturing and feeding that they need to bring healing within themselves? Because being disembodied, being no longer with the body, they can see in different realms that we can't see. But being the ones with bodies, we can do what they can't do. So we can go about and do the ceremonies and the gestures and the rituals and repaying that debt and doing that offering and, you know, um, whatever rituals were left out of accord, we can go and do them. But we can also open that pathway so that the ancestors can guide us and let us see what was left in disorder so that we can do that. As we start to open to the field, because it's all one mandala, our field is one mandala, it starts to make sense. 
the ancestral patterns that we inhabited, inherited, they start to make sense why, why there's a vacuum in that area of our life, but we're really gifted in this area of our life. We start to realize that we inherit this pattern. And what I've come to realize in my years of practice is that we are an electromagnetic being. Obviously, that is the nature of the cosmos. And so we are a quantum amalgamation of the greater cosmos. It's a, it's a hologram. So our being is this electromagnetic being, and that's how we evolve with this uh, toroidal movement of this pulse of this toroidal energy that moves through us. And that in that Akashic field of electromagnetic energy is held all the information that is needed for this particular molecule's incarnation. So one of the teachings that I received after I did my initiation, I received, I started receiving a body of knowledge that I didn't realize was going to be a whole lifetime. Now I see that. And it calls itself the five pillars of medicine. And there are five branches in this teaching, and each branch has five points. And very, very simple, but they get more and more sophisticated as it goes on. So the very first teaching that came was the cedar teachings, where it told me five allocations of medicine in the plant, which is the same as in the human, which is the same as in the planet. The second teaching came just as I was dropping into a dream. It's called the five pillars of medicine, the second teaching as well as the whole title. And that shows me how these same five principles are applied in remedy as ways of, of engaging how to heal, how to balance as principles in our lives. It shows us how these five principles are what's moving through everything all the time. And the third branch is called the fabric of spirit and so on. So what I want to get to is in the third branch, I received a teaching that is relevant to how I understand how we inherit this uh, energetic pattern. And um, what it said to me was that there are only five streams of reality. In other words, there's only five modes of perception or five threads that make up the fabric of reality, five ways that we can perceive. And these are through time, space, level, dimension, and plane. And in each one of them sits either ancestry or past lives or different levels of initiation that our consciousness has expanded into through our lifetimes or dimensional beings, um, those beings that are muses, that are gifts, that have are not blood ancestors of ours, but have seen us as we travel, as we move and like us and want to work with us. Those are called gifts. Muses, gifts that move with us in, in other realms that we might encounter on plant medicine. And then, of course, the Akashic realm, that which holds all of it. So the quantum realm, that which calls itself time, uh, the highest octave of time, meaning the toroidal evolution of our being, that holds the other four. And this electromagnetic imprint that we have cascades through all four of these realms, through our ancestry and our past lives and the level of initiation that our being has expanded to and the dimensional beings that gift us. So as this electromagnetic being, this is the vessel through which we travel, this energetic form. And just like any vessel, the body or a car, we can have impact. We can have personal impact. We can have collective impact. For a collective, for example, I mean... Uh, the witch hunts or what happened with COVID. We have this massive collective shock or imprint and reaction. So our being receives this imprint and it creates an energetic imprint. Now being magnetic, as above, so below, just like on the level of DNA, the protein on our DNA magnetizes the matching protein on it. So on the level of our energy, the circumstances that match that indent or that dent in our energetic field will be magnetized. So 
in order to bring remedy here, what we want to do is to remember and realize that our energetic body, being electromagnetic, is organic and can repair. The whole of the universe falls in the direction of, it leans to the direction of healing. You know, if we get a scratch, all we need to do is clean it, and the healing happens by itself. So we have this momentum, this cosmic momentum behind us that moves towards healing. So what we want to remember is that we can panel beat these dents. And it's not so difficult. We have rites and ceremonies and rituals and plants and different ways of doing this. And in our culture, that's been largely neglected, but a lot of cultures do still remember. So what we want to do then is identify what our energy signature is, what that imprint is in our energetic mandala. And then we'll start to give credence or give acknowledgement and make a lot of sense of the things that we find repeating because it's a fractal. It's a hologram. So those same patterns will repeat on all the levels. So what we'll see happening in our ancestral field will probably be patterns that are repeating in our past lives, but in a different way, in different clothing. It's the same pattern with a different color or shade or cloth over. Then the same way that we can enhance our levels of consciousness and initiate or not initiate will be the, regarding the same pattern. The same kind of guides that we're able to attract and, and keep close to us will be manifesting this pattern so we need to identify this energy signature and then we can bring the right ceremonies and rites and whatever's needed to panel beat it so that we get our field in order so what african medicine and what i imagine much indigenous medicine is about is bringing order back to our field and a large focus in ancestry in african medicine is the ancestral aspect how to bring balance to our ancestry how to keep the lines clear and the wires clear and how to obey the laws and keep the energy clean so that that knowledge can travel through to us and we can inherit our birthright of knowledge from the ancestors. So we want to keep in alignment with certain tribal laws and things that are considered honorable and go through the necessary passages so that we keep that structure, that dendrite, almost that neural pathway that moves through time, through our bloodline, we want to keep it clean and open and all the dendrites, what I would consider where we would put rites of passage, coming of age ceremonies, important rituals in our lives, we want to keep those open and clean so we can inherit the knowledge that, that is due to us, that comes back to us. So that's largely how African medicine works and in the body of knowledge I've received since, and it does come in the order of first the cedar teachings, then the five pillars, then the fabric of spirit, then the circuitry, etc., um, nonetheless, it's all like a concertina, you know, the, the five pieces of knowledge that we were born with this reminder right in front of us encompass everything. So from the most simple that even a baby can understand to the most sophisticated are all included in this body of knowledge. And of course, it taps on other systems of knowledge that will echo this, like the five organ systems in Chinese medicine and the different elements and foods that we can eat, etc., to support that, and the five worlds in Kabbalah and Ayurveda, they all speak about these five aspects. So it all balances on itself and starts to make sense. So whatever language you understand this and you can access this knowledge. But what I want to bring in here is that in the Fabric of Spirit, the very first teaching that I received on the streams of reality, with being time, space, level, dimension, and plane, I was then shown how they parallel, all of the teachings parallel. So the five cedar teachings of the root and the leaves and the bark and the flower and the sap parallel onto the first pillar of medicine, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, parallel onto the five streams of reality. So ancestry will sit in one of those streams of reality, past lives in another, etc. And I've noticed that 
when, because knowledge is energy and energy can't be created or destroyed, it can just be transferred. We can't actually lose knowledge. It's all sitting there in the Akashic field all the time. Usually, the main pathway that we keep open to inherit our knowledge and to keep it cycling through the generations and evolving and enhancing is ancestral. But if we go through some kind of rupture or disruption with our ancestry, be it exile, colonialism, war, whatever happens there, it disrupts this channel. When colonialists come, they disrupt the culture, they disrupt the language, and we can't keep that neural pathway open. So what I have been shown in these teachings that have been given is that that knowledge can be transferred and it transfers through the five streams of reality. So ancestry would sit in the one. The plant kingdom sits in another. The microbial rock mineral crystal kingdom sits, sorry, the rock mineral crystal system sits in another. The microbial, bacterial, fungal soil sits in another. The animal kingdom is another and the spirit is in another. There's always five. So that would be like the body of being, the heart, the mind, the soul, the spirit, or the level of earth, of water, of fire, of air, and of ether. So it's very simple knowledge that parallels on itself. But what I'm getting at is that I was shown that knowledge can transfer. So when knowledge in ancestry, in the rock of our being, the bone, the, the substrate of what we are as humans is disrupted, we can transfer and store that knowledge in other places, like in the plant kingdom or in the fungal, microbial, bacterial kingdom, or in the interdimensional kingdom. It's always in the Akashic kingdom. So when we've disrupted these passages, we might learn to go and consult with the plant kingdom in order to receive this knowledge once again, or consult with the rock mineral crystal kingdom that will remind us of who we are. So knowledge can't be created or destroyed. It just gets transferred into one of these kingdoms, and then from somewhere we can always leverage ourselves back to order because the akashic realm is always holding everything it's beyond time and space so it can't be impacted it can't be touched did that make sense yeah yeah that was beautiful there there's a lot there you were speaking a lot about this idea of ancestry and and how things come and disrupt that i mean something like colonization being one thing you mentioned and and really, uh, I think, looking at history, I mean, the, the history of the, the known world is, is really a lot of colonization. I mean, all over the world, um, uh, groups kind of exerting their, their will on, on someone else. Um, maybe in, in more like shamanic terms, it's this idea of like black magic or power, control. Um, but... I think I think that idea resonates with with probably a lot of people listening to this that that there is real power in in ancestry and that that as you said that that knowledge is always there and that there's different tools that can give us access to that. I think a lot of people listening are probably coming from cultures where you know we and this is where words are always very tricky um but the world is is certainly moving in a direction of what we may call uh, a more westernized uh, society a, a certain culture and and then even when we speak of these kind of indigenous traditions or traditional traditions there is this idea that there's somehow this 
this knowledge that's still there that's that's that maybe hasn't been broken by some outside force but i think for a lot of people they they feel that maybe they're not coming from a from a specific tradition or that knowledge has been cut do you think that's where these rites or rituals are 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 vital for helping us to remember that because a lot of people Again, I think there's something that resonates with them, but they don't feel that they can go to their own culture to to be able to remember those things because that, that line has been broken. And, and so they feel a bit lost. I mean, even much like that story that I said from Amika is, you know, even eons ago, there was still this idea that that humanity had become orphaned, that 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 humanity had become uh, cut off from this knowledge and that and that we were all looking for that somehow. So, um, yeah, do, do, I mean, you know, and and it's interesting that 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 I think so many people are now looking towards these more ancient forms of culture to somehow rediscover or remember those. So, is, is that maybe something you can speak about? About, and and I know it's it's maybe a convoluted question, but I I, I think maybe the the short question is is so many people I think listening feel cut off from that ancestry and and and. I think a lot of people have that question, like, how do I go about rediscovering that ancestral wisdom? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of these ceremonies and rituals are restorative, especially in this time on the planet, which is, as prophesied, a very difficult time. It's the, it's the dark before the dawn. It's the time of, of, of amnesia before the remembering. So, yeah, I mean, knowledge transfer doesn't only happen horizontally through ancestry but it also happens vertically through different kingdoms and different dimensions so how we can go about that is very simple first of all is by remembering that we are impregnated with everything in the cosmos we have in our bodies all the same elements and ingredients as everything on earth everything in the cosmos so we can start opening a very simple very humble conversation let's start with our ancestry by making an offering making an offering and just being so honest, you know, having a candle, having a plant that we can burn that carries up the prayers and doing an offering of some food and seeds and alcohol and tobacco and just saying, please show me what needs to be done in order to begin to relate to and communicate with my ancestry. And um, there's really simple techniques. There's also techniques of, of getting more knowledge and communication from the plant kingdom holding a leaf, sleeping with a leaf under the pillow or singing to the plant. But the very first thing, the very first thing we have to do is to cleanse ourselves because otherwise we might be receiving information. We're receiving information all the time anyway. It's just how clear and clean are we that we're able to hear, we're able to listen. So the very first thing is cleansing the vessel, doing those practices and staying close to the earth and um, eating clean and sleeping well and uh, cleansing ourselves in the many ways that we do spiritually with meditation with pranayama with yoga with all the different ways that we have we've got so many tools at our disposal and we might not realize it at the time because it's a slow and subtle and gentle evolution but as we cleanse ourselves and start to open we will naturally start to magnetize everything that is due to us and we might put out a, a query a question and ask something in ceremony or ask something before bed it's always nice to make an offering before receiving so if you want to receive some information in your dream, go somewhere. Usually it's done somewhere high like a mountain. You put some tobacco 
when I was living in a city, I would just put some tobacco on, on the windowsill and ask for a teaching in a dream. And what I've noticed over time is that everything I've asked for is always answered. It's just whether it's quick or slow, depending on how clogged my channel of receptivity is. So, for example, the very first teaching that came through to me after my initiation as part of the Five Pillars of Medicine, which was the Cedar Teachings, I realized a couple of years later that that was the answer to a question that I'd had where I'd gone into the garden in the middle of my initiation and said, look, I can't learn about plants like this, like an encyclopedia, one at a time, and this is analgesic and this is anti-inflammatory and this opens your dreams and you know, every plant will have an energetic and physical property at the same time. So I said, please, rather than teach me inductively, adding one by one, teach me deductively. Show me the principles behind the, behind the plant so that I can look at a plant and tell just from looking at it, smelling it, touching it, seeing its color, what it does. And I completely forgot about that question, which is important. If you pray and you ask for something, you must let it go. You must post the letter. And so then when the cedar teachings came, I didn't remember that that was an answer to my question. I only remembered again afterwards that the five streams of reality was a clarification of my question, hang on a minute, how can there be ancestry and past lives and these other guys that I'm perceiving? I forgot about that question and then came this very orderly knowledge. So that's one thing to remember is that everything that we ask will be answered. And we want to start by cleaning ourselves and grounding ourselves, staying barefoot on the earth, so allowing our chi centers to, to be harmonized by the electromagnetic fields underneath us. And then we start to remember, say, for example, what was taught to me in the very first teaching of the cedar teachings, where the, the tree, the cedar tree, as I was burning its sap, it gifted me some sap because I was making offerings to it and gave one of them a hug and noticed that it left some sap on me, that... Um, I knew the leaves were a powerful smudge and a powerful prayer in Native American tradition, but I never thought about what does a different part of the same plant do. So when I went out to burn the, the sap, to put it on coal and get the fragrance going, I was subsumed, consumed with this hug from the tree and delivered this knowledge where it told me that the spirit of a plant lives in the sap. Power is in the leaves. Medicine is in the bark, connectivity is in the roots, and love is in the fruit. And it went on to give me some entheogenic examples to show how clear this is. For example, that's why uh, cactus, peyote, and sampiro is pure spirit and holding ceremonies for many years. The most common feedback was always, oh, that's who I am. It's this homecoming to spirit. Ayahuasca then would be power spirit medicine because it's the leaves and the bark and the sap and the vine. And um, iboba, the root bark, is connectivity medicine because it's root bark. Mycelium, I at first thought because it's a root system, it's like the first, it's like the connectivity, which it is, but it's also the connectivity within the soil, within within bark. And so that's the medicine, it's real medicine. And uh, the example it gave for the love was marijuana, the flower, the flowers are consciousness, and also coffee and uh, the cacao bean all of which open our heart and then close it. So we get this rush of sugar and then closes it. So we get energy and it comes down and we get a high and we come down. But if you want to build power like it lives in the leaves, you want to then have tea or chut or coca slowly builds the power. So the sweetness of the fruit gives a rush of energy. But if you want to build power, you want the leaves, not the fruit. And these very simple knowledge 
these very simple teachings I've started to apply in my life, apply with the readings that I was doing with clients, apply in my diet, and it was impeccable. I can't fault it to this day. But what it showed me many months later was that it made a parallel when I was in a receptive space, and it told me that the same principles are true of the animal kingdom. So the connectivity is in the roots, which are our bones, structure, or ancestry. And the fascia is like the mycelium that wraps around and, and is this um, medicinal function that, that is between medicine and, and connectivity. And um, power is in the leaves, which is our tissue, just like the leaves, they expand outwards to get and hold energy and knowledge. The leaves, the tissue, the nail, the hair, everything that expands out with the silica of the body holds the power. The medicine is in the bark, which is our skin and all the membranes our GI tract, where all the microbes live, all these amazing, minute bodies of intelligent life that live there. They are the medicine, they are the protectors. Um, the spirit is in the sap, which is our blood, and love is in the fruit, which is our fruit, our children, our art, our dance, our work, whatever product, whatever we give to the world, that's where the love is. And then as time went on, it made the same true of the macrocosm of the planet. So connectivity is in the bones, it's in, in the roots, which is the bones, which is the entire rock mineral crystal kingdom. And when you look close up at a crystal or a bone or a rock, they're all holding the same structure. It's all the same structure on the micro or the macro levels. And the power, which is in the leaves, which is in the tissue, which is in the plant kingdom as a whole, if we look above at a jungle, it takes the very same shape as the the way that uh, arteries run through our tissue and through the, as veins run through the leaves. It's all the same structure running through. So the power lives in the leaves, which is the tissue of the body and the, rock, uh, the plant kingdom as a total on the planet. So the medicine, which lives in the bark, which is our skin, GI tract, all the membranes in our body, that's the soil. The soil of the planet is like the bark of the tree. It's the protective realm. The thinnest realm that's the most condensed with microbial protective intelligent life. The love of the being, the fruit, which is the love and the art and the celebration and the color of our lives, is the animal kingdom as a whole on the level of the planet. And the spirit which lives in the sap, which is our blood, is the water. So the water is holding the spirit. That's its home in the water. So all the same five principles that travel through, and I was shown the same is true on, even on the smallest level of a cell where um, the biomembrane is like the bark, the protective layer that holds it all together, and the roots holding the connectivity, that's the DNA, the chromosomes that hold this ancestral structural knowledge that runs through us like the bones, the cell. The mitochondria holds the power just like the leaves and the tissue generating energy. The cytoplasm is where the spirit is holding everything together like the Akashic realm. And everything is inside of it, but it's probably not perceived by it because it's that invisible realm that's the glue holding it together. And the love is that energy that's gifted to the higher self, the, the higher being, the body of the creature by the generation of the cell. So the same principles run through every level of being, which is all to say that we are already very empowered in and of ourselves to begin functioning. We've got all the ingredients that it takes. We just don't have the memory. So this is why we're reaching to other cultures and to plants and to medicines. It's a very good sign. It shows that we recognize that something that is our birthright isn't currently with us and we're looking to restore it. 
We're attracted to ceremony because we have this ancient memory that that's what opens that neural pathway, the same neural pathway that runs through our ancestry, bequeathing us all our ancestral knowledge and, and, and medicine, runs through all of the kingdoms. The same serotonergic, dopaminergic pathways run from the mineral kingdom through the path, through the plant kingdom. We eat that. It runs through our kingdom. It goes into the etheric astral kingdoms and up in ceremony. It's all the same neural pathway that runs through. So it's not only horizontal. It's also vertical. The same neural pathway can be opened with rituals and practices and rites of passages, cleaning the pathways, cleaning the dendrites to allow that knowledge to be remembered whether we're imbibing minerals or plants or ceremony or practice as we go through. So we're already very empowered. It's the most simple knowledge that we can start to apply. We know that we have a body that has all these principles. And to just look at it in terms of these five worlds is very manageable. You know, we have the level of earth, of water, of fire, of air, and of ether, or otherwise we can say it as um, body, heart, mind, soul, or spirit, or we can say it as root, leaf, bark, flower, or sap, etc. So it's just the same five ingredients that we have to work with. We have um, connected to that. We have the simple ingredients of times of the day, times of the year, times of our menstrual, menstrual cycle, uh, for men more times of the solar cycle, and we have the direction. So starting with these very simple things, these very simple principles, with all the power of the cosmos vested in us, the entire mineral, plant, microbial, um, animal, spirit kingdom that is within us, we have the power to then go and ask for something, ask for the simple opening of communication with our ancestry. We're asking for something new so we can face east and we can do it at dawn. We can do it at dawn on a new moon. So these very simple principles, we can just start to align our intention with these already moving cosmic cycles that are in order with it. We can look at the month, new moon, planting a seed, nurturing it in the first uh, half of the moon, celebrating it at the full moon, harvesting that knowledge at the last half moon, and so on with the cycle, and same through the same through the seasons of the year, and knowing that east sunrises and something new west if we want to let go of something and we can be empowered to make our own uh, associations with what the different areas mean for us north we could do uh, material wealth and belonging south fluidity and the opening of channels so just starting with these very very simple practices we can be very empowered in how we are and we can find resources everywhere when we look at the chinese medicine the five organ system of the chinese medicine they map too of course so looking at the roots of our body, the bones, the ancestry, the structure, that would be the earth element. So that would be the stomach and the spleen. And just to gently start nourishing that, we can eat yellow foods, mung dal, other things, pumpkin, banana, all these things, just gently with that intention, start nurturing the organ system because the whole of creation is alive and just giving it potent attention in itself is nourishing. Just making an offering in itself is nourishing. If we were an ancestor and we could see through the veils to a descendant of ours, leaving some food and alcohol and tobacco in memory of us, we would be fed and have more energy to then gift them knowledge. So then if we go to the level of the second pillar of medicine, the leaves where the power is, and uh, looking at the liver and the gallbladder, we can eat green things. We can eat leaves, literally, to give us energy and give us power and help these 
these organs to have energy. And in Chinese medicine, the organs are seen as the seats of the gods. So we can understand them as having no cars within our body, but they're actually cosmic functions. We can send the hun, the spirit of the liver, out at night to go fetch us knowledge and information in our dreaming. Leaves hold the power. Power is knowledge to go and get us knowledge. We eat leaves. The leaves are holding a lot of knowledge. So we just start to align these very simple five principles and plug us into everywhere in the cosmos. We can come to the next level, the third pillar, the third level of medicine, the level of mind, fire, and that's the lungs and the large intestine. Medicine is in the membranes and the lungs are the first port of call when it meets the outer world. And it's the first line of defense in defending us. And of course, the GI tract, the, the gut microbes are the same as the soil microbes. And we know the medicine is the bark, is the skin, is the soil. So there's all these parallels, it's impeccable, it just keeps on echoing through the same way. And to nourish this and to bring in about more strength and more chi and energy and wisdom here, we can eat white foods, mushrooms, mushrooms which pertain to the soil of the being. Of course, many of them, you know, white foods like cauliflower, and there's many, but mushrooms is a particularly good example. Then we can look at the fourth pillar where the love lives, where the fruit and the flower is, the calling and the response of this generous, colorful, creative realm, the animal kingdom sits in this realm. And that's the level of the heart, the heart and the small intestine. And to nurture this realm, we can eat red foods, the foods with a lot of seeds, tomatoes and strawberries and pomegranates, and they're seed-bearing, they're fruit-bearing, that level. And, and we do that with this intention, not unconsciously, but... In order to nourish and love my heart, I'm eating this beautiful red tomato to, to give that energy. Your heart can hear you. Your heart can feel you. And it starts to turn on and makes this quantum connectivity grid with others because everything's alive. And what live things respond to is appreciation and love. So we just give this one ingredient and things start to turn on. That's the secret key, appreciation and gratitude. And everything starts to turn on, starts to come information in our dreams. And then, of course, how we respond to the knowledge gives it power on it. So I'll get to that now, but let me just finish with the sap and the level of the blood and the level of the waters. And in Chinese medicine, this is the level of the kidney and the bladder. So this is where the water sits. So we can eat dark foods, black foods, purple foods to enrich your kidney beans, etc. So we start to open these channels in a very grounded, manageable, doable way and start to switch on all the systems of our body because we're already pregnant with this timeless, not even ancient, it's timeless knowledge. We start to open these channels and feel it stretch. So, of course, when we get information, when we start to open our channels and we get information, it's not the information that gives us power. It's what we do with the information that gives it power. If we're getting amazing teachings in our dream, but we're not applying it, we have no power. If we get some teaching from our dreams or we recognize some amazing meeting or coincidence that's definitely set up by our, by our ancestors. I mean, no matter where we are in our past, we've at least all had one unbelievably synchronous moment in our lives that show us that this is a, this is a dream, this is a live, awake plane. Um, what we start to do with that, how we start to apply that, how we start to act on that builds the muscle. So if our dreams start to give us information and we say, thank you so much, here is some tobacco. I really appreciate the knowledge. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to take portion as you warn me or I'm going to go and do whatever I was told to do. That will build the muscles. Then whatever elements in the dreaming are seeing, they're giving us knowledge and we're taking it and being responsible and applying and being very deeply honorable, honorable and respectful with it. 
they will start to give us more teachings, clearer and stronger and higher caliber. So we are the very muscle that can start to get clearer and stronger as we gently work ourselves. It doesn't have to be a big stress or a big effort. We are impregnated with this very cosmic capacity. We just have to start moving these timeless capacities and activate who we are and switch on the whole of ourselves and see the world respond in kind. Amazing. You, you said that these teachings, um, I think you labeled it the, the cedar teachings, that, that they came from this tree and specifically the cedar tree. Um, and it's very interesting because m many traditions, many religions have a reverence for, for trees. Even before we started, we were talking about the Celtic tradition and how some say even their, their language, the ogham, is, is, is based on trees. And you have even like in Judaism, the, the world tree. And in, in many indigenous cultures, you have this world tree and um, learning from trees, uh, trees as medicine, even all of these layers, which were embodied in the tree, the, the, the bark, the fruit, the flowers, the sap. Um, why do you think that, that, that symbol of the tree is so important? And, and, and do you have a sense of why these teachings came to you from a tree and and maybe even specifically the the cedar tree which in, especially in, in many of kind of the, the northern traditions that that specific tree is also very very sacred to to people yeah absolutely i mean we can see once again form follows function so when we look at the form of the whole kind of a family the cedar trees the fir the pine all of these beautiful cone bearing families when you look at the silhouette, say at sunset, you can see they have this impeccable structure. They're like an antenna. I feel that they are receiving knowledge. They are like the grandfathers and grandmothers of the plant family. And they bestow knowledge to us. The other plants, different plants have different experiences. And just like in any system, some are to give and some are to receive. So a lot of the plants that do that for me are like expressing appreciation and giving nourishment and food. And those with the thinner, fine needles that are at the higher, more extreme um, altitudes, they're receiving knowledge. And those that, that are the wider leaved, hotter climates, they're giving knowledge. So you've got this whole toroidal system functioning on a macrocosm, macro, macrocosm of the planet, just like I spoke about in the microcosm of our being. So I think the conifer family is a wisdom bearing family. And you can drink the needles of the cedar tree or the pine tree and it's beautiful, especially if you want to get information and knowledge from a tree, do it on an empty stump. You can drink from the inside of the bark, you know, the, the firmest medicine, the most intense concentrated medicine is on the inside of the bark. And I think cedars and pines have a lot of vitamin C kept there. So I think that family is particularly special, but the tree of knowledge in itself, the tree being aligned with the second pillar, the second realm of being where the power lives, it holds the knowledge. So when we start to apply the cedar teachings, from the root to the leaf to the bark to the flower and fruit to the sap to how we practice that in the five pillars of medicine, so the cedar teachings being the first branch of the teachings and the five pillars being the second, we can start to apply that in action. So the root teachings, the ancestral teachings, the grounded earth teachings, that of connectivity is about being where you are, calling a spade a spade, noticing the nature of your soil, where you are, how you configured the dense earth realm, and all the connectivity that happens from there, or the lack of connectivity. 
once we start mapping the tree of our being, we can not only see the blessings we've inherited, but where we're out of alignment and what needs nourishing. So that realm picks up on all the nutrients and the minerals from the entire rock and the crystal kingdom and holds it there. And then noticing what happens, okay, a seed has come from the fourth through the fifth pillar back into the soil and, and sends down the cycle is timeless, right? Cycling of the time. So the very first thing we'll do is once the seed breaks its dormancy, it sends down the root, this connectivity to anchor itself in the ground, to tap into the ancient rememberings of the ancestral knowledge, drawing that all up from the DNA, the chromosomes of the planet, which is held in the rock mineral crystal kingdom. And then what it does when it's strong enough and it's got enough nutrients is it sends a shoot up through the soil, which takes energy and power and takes courage to break through the soil and go into the unknown and start entering a whole new realm where there's sunlight and other kind of creatures to engage with. And it starts to get energy from that sunlight. And from those two little leaves, it gets more little leaves and expands and expands and expands and holds the energy there. So what it's doing, that realm of the leaf, that realm of the tissue that grows as we get older and, and, and engage more in life, our hair grow, our nails grow, it's the realm of growth. It's the realm of expanding beyond our comfort zone, the first pillar, the ancestral realm, expanding into that realm of power and gaining knowledge. So the leaves or the trees, as the plant kingdom, the, the leaves of the planet really, the plant kingdom as a whole, holds the knowledge. It holds the knowledge for us, the plant kingdom. And that's why when we diet trees, we get a lot of information. The root rock mineral crystal, crystal kingdom holds connectivity. It holds, opens the dendrites and the, and the neural pathways that allows this connectivity and, and us to be where we are. It allows the embedding as well as the opening to perception. The leaves, as they move up and out, hold this courage, this power, and expands into gets new knowledge. So, for example, if we were to apply the first pillar of medicine, which aligns with the root, the connectivity, to our lives, that is the realm of call a spade a spade. Who are your people? The realm of space. Who are your people? Where do you come from? Where are you embedded in the earth? It's the realm of home. It's the realm of resonance. It's the realm of close friendship. And how that looks in therapy is, is acceptance medicine, resonance medicine, like meets like medicine, homeopathy sits in this field. It's all about rooted as you are. So giving you a taste in homeopathy of where you are actually holds that frequency in your inner constellation and allows the rest of the being to free itself. So we meet it as it is. It's resonance medicine. We meet like with like. Similia similibus pura is the foundational saying in, in homeopathy. So we meet it in this first pillar way, which relates to, as I was saying, it includes everything in the universe. It relates to home. It relates to ancestry. It relates to being rooted. It relates to resonance, acceptance, where we are. It relates to meeting like with like, similarly. And then we move into the realm of the second pillar, the root where the, um, the leaf where the power is held, where it takes energy to expand outwards. And this is the realm of learning. So when we go from home, where's the first place we go when we're big enough and we start to move, we start to crawl and then start to walk and start to move around and explore the world and get more energy and knowledge, we go to school. So that's the realm of learning. We go from the realm of ancestry and home to the realm of learning and the realm of knowledge. What parallels to that in the Cedar teachings and the Pillars is the plant kingdom as a whole, leaves the power. So the plant kingdom holds the knowledge. Then we move beyond that to we expand, we expand, we expand, and then we realize, okay, this is good. I need to make a container. I have used the energy that I can so that now if I stop here, I 
get enough energy and give enough energy and I can keep a cycle, I create a container. That this is the wisdom way of going. Of course, these ways of being can fall into dis- uh, disorder or order. So an unhealthy system can keep expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding, which is what we call capitalism or what we call cancer. So always the next pillar of medicine, the the um, response, say, to second pillar of medicine, third pillar of medicine is a boundary, will come in a healthy or unhealthy way. So it will be met with um, a sudden instruction to stop if it's expanding out of order, or we might met with a healthy instruction to contain if it's functioning in a healthy system. So from the leaves, we move to containing in the bark. This is the realm of containment, the bark, and how this looks is the realm of we've gained a lot of knowledge now, but now we learned, need to learn skill because the bark, the soil, the skin, is the very interface between the internal world what's under the earth and under the bark, and the external world, the air around us, what's above the soil, what's, what's going on. So it's, a, it's an interdimensional interface because the nature of what's under it and what's on top of it is very different. And this is the thinnest realm, but it needs to be the strongest one. So this is the realm of medicine. This is the realm of intelligence. This is the realm of where the warrior would sit, where the shaman would sit, where the medium would sit, where the medicine would sit, that which is the go-between, the medial, the middleman, the medicine, the medium. So that realm needs to be skillful. It's all about amounts. It's all about, um, you know, another word for this is um, inoculation medicine or venom medicine. It's, it's taking that which you don't necessarily want. So it's teaching us where the boundary is. And this is the realm of real skill and real knowledge and going between the realms in the, in the soil and in the gut and on, on the level of the skin. It's the realm of the microbes. It's the realm of the prebiotics and the pro, sorry, the probiotics, that those beings that can pre-digest and ferment things so that we can get the knowledge that's held in there. So this realm is very much about uh, digesting, alchemizing, moving substance from one material to another. It's the realm of the large intestine and the gut, and it's about digestion and making substance into energy. It's the magical realm, or rather going into the fourth pillar is the magical realm because that moves into the air and, and things happen there, but it's the medicinal realm which then gives rise to the magical realm. So this realm holds medicine, which means holds real knowledge and skill and it's all about structure and conduct and boundary and good honor codes in order to allow us to mature to then fruit and flower in a good way and move that energy which came up from the soil through the leaves held by the bark and the medicine allows the whole function to structure this whole structure to function so that we can fruit and flower i see that you've gone offline can you still hear me Oh yeah, I'm I'm still here, and I I can hear and see you fine. Are, are you able to see me? I can't see you, but I can hear. You. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'll just yeah, finish drawing this parrot. Yeah. 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 Continue. So, Thank you. Level where we 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 blossom and uh, the fruit and the flower we blossom and we have fragrance and color and we call other beings to come and eat us and cross pollinate us and cut carry our seeds elsewhere so that we can propagate elsewhere is 
now the realm that seems to the uninitiated, initiation will belong in the third pillar in the medicine with Bach in that interface alchemical area. The realm of air would seem to the uninitiated as magical. It would seem as where the magicians live, where the unseen realms or the interdimensional realms, the gifts and the guides live in the realm of air. So it's all happening, but it's happening in the invisible. This is where these other entities live that, that would want to come and guide us. And um, what's held there, as we know, is the love, because that's the cross-pollination. That's where different beings come, and their meeting opens a whole different dimensionality, where the two humans being come together and make a child, or a bird comes and takes pollen or a seed and goes and poops it out elsewhere, makes a whole forest elsewhere, or a bee comes and vibrates the plant and gets the pollen. It's all about the meeting of two, creating love, and then amplifying it to a whole different dimension. And then, of course, there's the realm of the spirit, the water, the sap that's moving through all the time. That's the Akashic realm that's holding it all, all the time. So that's the long answer to why the plant kingdom would hold knowledge. So the, the, the last one, the spirit kingdom, the Akashic realm, is holding everything. It's the quantum realm that is the host of everything together. So maybe I can mention a little bit about what I mean when I speak about this third level of being, this third pillar of medicine, this, this realm of medicine, and how that relates when I brought in earlier the five streams of reality. Because the streams of reality would relate, for example, space would relate to the first, the root. Where are you in space? Your ancestry, where are you from? Where are your people from? This is where we inherit the connectivity through our ancestry. Did we do all the rites and rituals properly? Are the marriage rites done and that child's born in wedlock so that she can gain access to information from that ancestor? Or what repair needs to be done in order to bridge that that was sloppily done, etc. It's all about the connectivity and the structure of that root system. Then the realm of power, the leaves, the second pillar of medicine, where knowledge and, and expansion and, and moving into the realms of, of learning and expanding come in, that would be where the planes are. So I said there's time, space, level, dimension, plane. And the planes is where it's held past lives. So if we're inheriting connectivity with the root through our ancestry, we are inheriting power through our past lives. So you might have a very powerful, you know, self-possessed, really self-contained, amazing, uh, magnetic father and quite a insecure, shy, weak son you know, it doesn't, power doesn't pass through the lineage. Connectivity passes through the lineage. Where we inherit our power is what we have cultivated ourselves through our past lives. These are the planes. This is called the planes. Where it's more like an archetypal realm. So it's the same themes. We need to deal with the same themes, whether we have manifested as Lakota or Siberian or Jewish or Muslim or whatever. We are dealing with the same themes when we come to greet life whether it's a theme of repair in relationship with mother or finance or birth, that same theme can manifest in whatever way. And how we deal with that cultivates power. So we inherit our own power. Then the realm of medicine, this is the realm that relates to the levels. So the space-time, level, dimension, and plane. And this relates to the levels. And as we spoke about the bark and the intelligence in the soil, the level of mind, the level of fire, this is where different initiations that we would have gone through have allowed us to expand through our incarnations, through our evolution. So a nice explanation that I found 
for this and that I is the closest explanation that I've come to have with regards to how I came to receive this um, beautiful teaching of the five pillars of medicine and then be a emissary or, or a messenger for it is the Tibetan teachings where they speak about karma. So a karma literally means a hidden gem or a hidden teaching that is held in the plasma of consciousness until an initiate has gone through the rites and cleansed themselves and their, the frequency of their vessel is a match for it and then it dawns on their awareness like a dew, like a dewdrop in consciousness. So to spontaneously receive a whole body of knowledge is the closest description I've found is in Tibetan Buddhism it's called the Tenma. So these bodies of knowledge, hidden gems, I like to see them as dewdrops, sitting in the plasma of, conscious, of consciousness, are planted there either by ourselves or by great teachers for us to re-inherit when we have sufficiently cleansed ourselves and uh, toned the muscles, the fiber, the timber of our being, enough to hold them. And a great example of this is the great Guru Rinpoche, or otherwise Padmasambhava, who is, some people refer to him as, as, as the first Buddha. He is a very great expanded consciousness. And of course, he can see through time. So he could see that troubled times were coming and times when we would be forgetting our knowledge as humans were coming. So what he did, he had all these disciples, he had about 25 disciples. He took the knowledge that he had access to and he put it in these tenemas for his disciples to re-inherit as they went through the lifetimes when they were ready. And they're both physical gifts and gems that were literally hidden in rocks and valleys and under streams and such not, and then also energetic gifts of knowledge. So a terma is a great example of what I mean by expanded states of consciousness or levels that we allow ourselves to be cultivated through, through initiation, through rites of passage, through conducting ourselves in a good and contained way, that our vessel is of the same resonance and frequency to be able to inherit a body of knowledge. So this is what I mean when I speak about levels. When we speak about dimensions, that which relates to the fourth level of being, the love, the cross-pollination, the animal kingdom, this is where there's this love, as I spoke to before, and gives rise to a whole other dimension where we have our gifts and our guides, other beings, other dimensional beings that sit in the realms, that may not even be human or maybe they've never been human but they want to work with and help because the realm of earth and its well-being is very useful to them as well so they may want to work with us they'll connect to us through love not through blood not through ancestry and they'll still be a guide or a gift is what we refer to them in africa so these are the dimensional beings and that of course in the level of spirit is the akashic realm in which everything is held no knowledge is lost or destroyed it's all held in the akashic realm so that's how these same simple five principles build from the root to the ancestry and rock mineral crystal kingdom and bones to the level of space to the organ systems of the, of the earth, which is the spleen and the stomach and so on. It's the same five very simple principles that we can just continue to build on and build on and build on, which is very empowering knowledge because it reminds us that we are already sitting with all the raw ingredients that we need for our own becoming. And of course, now it's just for us to find ways of opening those channels, cleaning ourselves, learning to ask for a dream, for a teaching, for an indication, learning to connect with the plant and sing to it and just simply you know, eat it on, a, on an empty stomach and ask it for a teaching. These very simple, almost childlike, playful ways of engaging the world 
and the world will talk back to us because it's talking to us all the time. We just need to clean our listening. Given where we are in our culture and planet, we have some cleaning to do, and that's perfectly possible. Yeah, wonderful. So you're speaking a lot in, in terms of this number five and, and the five pillars. In the beginning, you also spoke about this number two. Like, for, for example, you were saying that the, the Zulu tradition embodies more of uh, how you were saying this, this yang principle, this more masculine principle, and the, the Shona tradition was embodying more of this, like, yin, the, the feminine. And uh, you were also speaking about this idea of, like, repaying debt, which... Like here in the Andes, it's this idea of like Aini or reciprocity. So it's also this this dualistic nature of like giving and receiving. Um, and I heard you say something really beautiful too, which is even the symbiotic relationship between humans and plants and that there's a symbiosis there. And, and I think many times a, a lot of us, we, we look... Because even in, in, in a lot of the ways we were talking, it, it was almost, it's like this idea that we're, we're using the plant or we're taking something from the plant to enhance ourselves. But something that you said that was really beautiful was that the plants are also receiving something from us, which goes back to this idea of, of symbiosis. So is, is that something you can talk maybe a bit more about? I mean, maybe specifically with that idea of, of the plants also receiving something from us but then also those ideas of duality because i i think that's also something uh in this time we're living in there, there's a lot of confusion around that about what those principles are the, the yang the yin uh, and in so many traditions um there, there's very strong beliefs and, and very strong insights into into these dualistic principles and, and, and why they are so important in, in, in this really healing realm, but, but also this realm of knowledge and reciprocity. Yes, since we have duality for the level of the absolute and the level of the re relative, absolute reality is this oneness, and then inside the oneness there's this illusion going on where oneness fell asleep to itself and it dances between these dualities. What happens is it lines up this polarity which gives rise to momentum. And this movement is what allows this play to keep to keep generating itself. So I see it more as a cyclical nature, like a call and response of one song, as opposed to a genuine duality. Duality for me is simply oneness that's fallen asleep to itself. And then it creates a lot of chaos and, and, and dance and love and the whole dance called Maya, the illusion that goes on so yeah, as you say, it can be uh, falling asleep to the point that we think it's other and then there can be real conflict and impact or a beautiful binary dance between two that's very complementary. So when we engage and give, I need give thanks to the earth for whatever it's gifted us, give, give thanks in the form of tobacco or food or alcohol or alcohol, whatever's being called for, it's a beautiful way of giving reciprocity. And we need to remember that we don't need to feel indebted and apologetic because our culture, the current culture on the planet, has done so much impact and harm. We feel like we're being good by feeling indebted, but I don't think the plants enjoy that feeling of receiving due to guilt and indebtedness. I think they enjoy receiving out of love. So what they get when we receive knowledge for them, from them is that we apply that knowledge. I think that's a real gift for them. They gave us something in a dream, 
gave us some kind of ceremony and uh, or they gave us nutrition in the form of food and we go and we do something beautiful with that and we're appreciative and, and gracious. It's a different quality, a different quality of, of energy, a different caliber of energy when they receive this reciprocity in this way, in our enjoying and our health and, and our emanating that frequency rather than feeling indebted. So that's a beautiful way to see that we don't owe Aina, but it comes from pleasure. It comes from true appreciation and joy. And I think that's a lot more nourishing to plant. And um, we can imagine what plants feel by imagining how we feel. You know, anything responds to appreciation and love, as I said before, it's alive. So if, for example, you come to me now and you wrote to me in a very beautiful, respectful way, can we talk, and everything was really lovely, then the way you're engaging me, the particular things about my story and my life and, and my work that you're interested in draws a particular frequency from me because you're coming with respect and love and honor. So I'm re reciprocating kind. If someone came to me and they were really disrespectful and came into my house and made a mess and helped themselves and barely acknowledged me and took what they wanted and left, they would elicit a different response, a different caliber of a response from me. So it's the very same way with a plant. If we come to it with great respect, say we really would love some knowledge, so we have a shower before and we come with a gift of whatever we want to bring. You know, in the case of a human, we might have a shower, dress nicely, take a gift, take some flowers, go, really listen, really give our attention. It brings a certain quality of communication from the other human. The same is true in plant. So if, for example, we smoke tobacco with this way of um, not really being aware you know, it's just a habit. We're taking it anytime we want um, without any awareness that it's a living plant that could actually be giving us some gifts of energetic protection and courage and even knowledge. It's not going to give us the knowledge that it has. But if I go and I do tobacco dieta and I'm very honoring and I don't speak and I eat very particularly and I've washed myself and I'm observing all the, all the requisites in order to give my undivided attention I'm going to get a certain caliber of response from the plant. It's the same way with an animal, if you're abusive to it or if you're loving to it. So the whole world responds to these same laws. So when we respond in this way to the plants, for them that is reciprocity. For us it is reciprocity. If somebody is kind and honoring and respectful to me, that's reciprocity. And I, I reciprocate in turn, so it's a cycle. So as above, so below, we just apply the same principles and uh, get a finer and finer degree of interaction with the world. Because the world is listening all the time and it's talking all the time. So we can start to ride and play with that a little bit more. And I feel like there's one part of your question I've forgotten. No, I I, I think that was that was actually it. Um, it was actually funny. It reminded me of a story of, of when I was in, in a long process of dieting and, and my teacher came to me and I, I think slowly I, I started getting more and more lazy and... I went from a shirt to a tank top to eventually no tank top to eventually no shorts. <laughs> and I was sitting there in my underwear one day and he came to serve me medicine and he looked at me and, um, and he said, put some clothes on. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was a very, a very simple thing, but it very much stuck with me. And, and for me, it was very much about having respect about showing up in a, in a space that was giving respect for, for, for what was going on. Um, 
You you said something really beautiful in in one of your talks, and and I, I think you said something along the lines of uh, initiation leads to prophecy, um, and and kind of this idea of of true seeing, um, and and both of those things really resonated for me. This idea, I mean, one which we spoke a little bit about, which is why initiation is so important, and <clears throat> that in so many of the cultures we we've really lost that that initiation, and in so many of these traditional cultures that that, that was such a such an important right, uh, a rite of passage, a rite of transition, a, a rite of knowledge at these certain points in our lives, um, but also this idea of prophecy, which I, I think is very important because. You know, prophecy also has to do with this idea of vision, and even many of these plants that that are involved in these these rites are often referred to as visionary plants. So it's there's this idea that they are giving us some sort of vision, some sort of prophecy, but also this idea of true seeing, which um, one of the plants we talked about, tobacco. It's uh, for me, it, it's one of the very powerful gifts that tobacco is able to impart, which is this idea of true seeing of uh, kind of, as you mentioned, this idea of like cutting through the veil to, to see the world as it actually is rather than through the illusions, the conditioning, the, 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 the patterning, the, um, the lenses. So could you, could you speak maybe a little bit more about that idea of, of initiation leads to prophecy? Cause I, I think it's a, it's a very fascinating and, and acute observation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, once again, if we look at the sacred order of things and we follow that, that invisible blueprint or template that's happening behind the world in this form of five, you know, um, when we come to the level of initiation, which, as I said, is the third pillar of medicine practice, it's a medicine practice, it's the Bach practice, it's where we come to the interface between worlds, two different natures under the skin and on top of the skin. So it's like humans have the capacity of being the microbes on the surface of the planet, just like we have microbes in our gut and on the surface of the skin. The human's role is to be the, the microbes on the surface of the planet and to be t these protective uh, microbial bodies that, that pre-digest and alchemize content on that level. This is our optimal role, to be close to the soil, to be close to the... If we look at the root, the etymology of the word human, it comes from the Indo-European word krem. I don't know how you would say it, but it's D-H-G. D-G-H-E-M, Krim. And from that word, Krim, however it was pronounced, came the word humus, which means soil, which came the word uh, humilité, which means humble, to be close to the soil is to be humble, which came the word uh, humble, humility. We can see the, the, the correlation between humus, the soil, all the way through to humble to human. So to be human really is to be close to the soil, to be a tender and a carer of the soil. The word agriculture, if we break down agricultura, agri is a field, and cultura means to cultivate, to cultivate the field, to cultivate the soil. Now the soil really is a metaphor for wisdom, for knowledge, for the level of the mind, for the level of illumination and seeing. You know, the body is a metaphor for the level of earth. And the... the um, heart is, is for the level of feeling. The mind would be the medicine, the illumination, the fire, we can say earth and water, fire, air, ether. So this level of illumination is the level of medicine, the level of 
the soil. This is where initiation happens. This is its rightful place in the sacred order of things. So as we go through this microbial pre-digesting and fermenting and tilling of the soil, taking the knowledge from under the soil, pre-digesting and offering up to the cosmos, taking what we are noticing in the cosmos and offering it back down to the earth. I like to see us as like um, when we look at the epigenetic understanding of how a cell actually works. The, the old understanding is that the DNA just had pre, predetermined structures that were built regardless of the conditions. But we can see now that the whole of organic life is intelligent. It doesn't just do that. It responds appropriately to its circumstances and, and coordinates in the world. So what happens is it's got the building blocks in the middle of the DNA in the nucleus that hold the building blocks. And there are these tiny little hair-like structures on the outside of the cell called fili. And they are sensing what's going on in the greater body. And these intelligent little electrical impulses are sending information into the bedrock of the cell and telling the nucleus what to build with this DNA building blocks. So on the level of the planet, because always as above, so below, we have this iron core in the planet and this whole magnetic structure of intelligence with, with uh, oil and water and um, microbes and minerals and uh, rocks and, and crystals inside, we as humans would be the little filly on the surface of the planet, reading from the cosmos what the greater environment is and feeding into the planet what it needs to produce. I like to see Earth itself as an alchemist and maybe it's it's a predetermining the kind of medicines we need given what where we're at. You know, it's divine medicines that we're finding coming out of the jungles and the and the deserts now is perfect for what we need for this evolutionary jump in our consciousness, to shift that consciousness, that probiotic, that alchemy that's happening. So the level of mind is the level of initiation, and that's the third level of being. Now the fourth level of being, the fourth pillar, where the fruit and the flower is, that's a metaphor for the flowering of our consciousness. Remember initiation in Africa, the word for it, Twasa, one of the interpretations is to flower. So we undergo initiation and we allow this illumination to come into our seeing, and that blossoms greater seeing in the unseen. So not only are we seeing in the seen, we can now open an internal seeing and see in the unseen, and that's what we call prophecy. So it's that internal flowering. It's like the whole of life is this metaphor, and the fruiting and the flowering of our own actions is what gives rise to the seeing in the unseen. It's almost like another very simple metaphor is like we're taught to drive our vehicle in, the, in our culture and turn our lights on when it's dark. But when you undergo initiation, you turn your brights on. It's like an enhancement. It's a flowering of the scene. And that's what I mean by prophecy. We start to move from sight into vision. We start to move from um, knowledge into wisdom. It's a blossoming of our being. So initiation blossoms prophecy, absolutely. That's how it goes in the sacred order of things. That's that neural pathway, that dendrite that runs all the way through from having matter to expanding, having knowledge, going through initiation and medicine, blossoming in consciousness, that giving rise and, and nourishing the sap, the very essence, the akash of consciousness, and then coming back down to nourish the roots and the ancestry. So we can put these same five levels in different language. We can go from the sap of the rain that nourishes the roots, which then allows it to have everything it needs to sprout and have leaves and, and get energy enough to form a bark and a container to mature and then flower and fruit. And this gives rise to nectars, which enhance the, the more vaporous and subtle elements 
which is the sap and the pollen that all goes out. The dew condensation rises from the plant and becomes the rain, and then that gathers and goes back down to the roots. And another language that's self-saying would be the ancestors. We nourish them with our ceremony, with our devotion, with our spiritual practice, and they give us power and strength, which gives us the capacity to protect ourselves and have medicine, which gives us then the capacity to contain ourselves and flower into the next level of consciousness, which then lets our guidance, our clarity, the, the veil through which we see reality, the nectar through which we flow, the plasma of reality, then is super clear and we have ultimate guidance, absolute birthright of what it is to be a cosmic being and that we do our rituals and in alignment with that nourishes once again the ancestry. So the same five phases of being going round and round can be put in any which language you want. So it absolutely follows that order and initiation would flower prophecy. Yeah. One of the other things, uh, one of the other things you said that really stuck out for me, um, and I believe you said that uh, we dream worlds with our attention, and and so you asked this kind of question, this kind of rhetorical question. So where are we putting our attention? And and there, I think there's there's something really beautiful about that. I mean, m many of these plants or many of these traditions. Um, they speak a lot about dreaming, about the power of dreams. Uh, <clears throat> there's a, there's another group in the Amazon called the the Witoto or the Borda people, and and they actually speak that that you know humans can dream like God dreamt the world into creation, and and that there's something in what you're saying which is also this idea of like attention, like where are we putting our our attention, and and also these ideas of intention, like where what are we asking for? What what are we envisioning? What what are we trying to create? So could you maybe speak a little bit more about what you were what you were pointing towards when you're speaking about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the intention would align with the sap and the nectar of our being. What is our intent? What do we want to infuse consciousness with? And as we go about initiating and, and going through processes and clarifying ourselves, that gets more and more clear. So the North Star of our consciousness becomes more and more clear. Ideally, that would hold for a tribe. You know, many tribes, the North Star is about honor and love and respect. In our current political context, those words have no place. To speak about love or to speak about spirit or to speak about these kind of things feels silly in childhood. They're childish to them. But actually, in cultures that have real honor codes, that's the North Star. So when we have this intention, we direct our focus on what we want to bring into the world and of course you know we can everything around us here was first dreamt into being this couch this cushion this uh, computer everything was first seen in the imagination this is the bedrock the seed the imagination the level of air the level of soul you know we have body heart mind soul spirit so in the level of soul and the level of visioning and the level of dreaming we seed something the level of flowering and fruit gives rise to seeds and then that goes and creates worlds. That one seed can create a forest which creates a million forests. It's endless. So the very nectar of our being is our attention. Where we put our attention is like this, this little dewdrop of focus and then things crystallize around our intention and then can come into manifestation. Anything we do, build a boat, start carpentry, anything we do starts with a focus 
starts with our attention crystallizing around it, action gets added, material gets added, and then we both worlds. So as everything, this is both physiological and metaphorical. So our attention really is the gold dust of our being. It is the, the primary thing. The humans are the seed of our being, the very nectar, the plasma of the fruit and the flowering of our being is our attention. And that's why there's a war on fruit. That's why there's this war to be hypnotized into constant addiction with them, social media and this and that, bad news. And Because where we put our attention is so powerful that if something has our attention, it can govern worlds. It can govern where the world works. So our work at the moment really is to have this beautiful um, and gentle resilience to just stay in the eye of the storm, stay in the core inside of us and keep our own attention clear. It's not about being cognitively dissonant because ignoring something is not, to be, to be equanimous is not the same as ignoring something. So what we really want to tend is this internal balance where we can watch life as a movie direct things, direct energy in, in accord with good principles and life-giving properties and really cultivate and clarify our own attention because without a doubt that is the very seed that grows worlds. Where we put our attention, we will grow. We could have been born into any world. This could be a, a, an effervescent planet of purple plasma and we would have been born and accepted it. You know, it's not to predetermined given that the earth has to be like this. Whatever we put our mind to or whatever is put into our attention, we accept. So we have the governance to direct our focus and direct our energy and our attention and then worlds grow around that. It's like it's an electromagnetic universe. The seed that we put out there, that, that attention, is quite electric and it's magnetic. It starts to magnetize this crystallization around it and that gives form follows function, energy goes where attention flows. We can govern and direct the most amazing things if we only put our attention on So that is the primary gift that we have to give to the world. And once again, that's why it's the real estate. It is the prime real estate that's being fought over and warred over to keep us in this hypnotic, uh, distressed, angsty state because that directs reality in a certain way. So the very most powerful thing that we can do is to reclaim and own our own attention and put it where pay attention to everything but direct our attention where we want it to yeah beautiful that that story that i was mentioning with with the bora about uh, humans dreaming like god dreamt the universe into creation for them they actually say that's that's the power of tobacco as it's it's one of the plants that allows us to do that and it, it was something you mentioned in the beginning that you've you've developed this relationship with tobacco and it's become one of if if not your 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 most important teacher um if if the audience has listened to maybe some of these other episodes they they may have heard me speak a little bit about tobacco but i think for a lot of people that's a really foreign concept that that something like tobacco um, even is a, a teacher that it's held in reverence or that it, it can become one of your most powerful teachers. Could you speak a little bit about tobacco from your experience, uh, from your personal experience or, or from what you've observed in, in the cultures you've worked with of, of why that's become such a, a an important plant to you? Mm. Well, when we look at the qualities held in different parts of the plants, uh, tobacco itself is pure leaf. It doesn't have, uh, it's not a tree, it's a plant. 
So it's pure power. Now, what that means is not that because it doesn't have bark, it doesn't have medicine. Because it doesn't have bark in the physical realm, it compensates for it a lot in the unseen realm. So it has a lot of medicine, but it's a super power plant. It's pure leaf. So many, many cultures across the world, from Indonesia to Africa to South America to North America, have recognized this power in tobacco. And many wisdom cultures combine it always with some kind of bark because. This level of power needs to be contained so that it doesn't become addictive. So, for example, in Native America, they combine it with the, the bark of the white willow tree and they call that kinnikinnik. And always when the elders would smoke in council and have this little pipe that they'd pass around before sharing wisdom and resolving conflict, they would, with the, with the willow bark, combine it. And this gave not only the power but the container and the holding of power. And if we look at rapi, we know that it's the tobacco, the, the mapacho, combined with the ash of certain medicinal plants, the bark of the ash of certain medicinal plants. So often it's combined with the bark to give it that medicinal holding. It's not just the power, but it's the holding. And, um, you know, why it's, it's taken the space it's taken in our current culture is possibly because a lot of things that were genuinely revered as powerful, when colonists came, they would undermine that so that the culture didn't have access to their power again. And we can see that with um, tobacco. We can see that with cannabis, maybe in India. Uh, we can see that with cacao. You know, these things are now coming back to the surface and, and, and new little pockets of kind of organic sprouting consciousness are making ceremonies with these tobacco ceremony, cow ceremony for however many decades in our culture that hasn't been the case. It's just been something that's been hidden in plain sight. You can have chocolate anytime you want or take a cigarette anytime you want. So for me, that's part of the colonization of consciousness of undermining and hiding really powerful things in plain sight so that we don't think it's powerful, so it's common. Same like prose, for example. And I have a story of how pro-medicine taught me this um, and I'll get around to how they all link together to be the same kind of thing, any medicine that's hidden in plain sight. So I was on a road trip to go hold ceremony, and um, it was a road trip of some significance. I forget where I was going, but I always notice along the road what are the things that happen, what are the animals that I see, what are the conditions that are leading me up to the ceremony, because from the moment I decide I'm going on ceremony, I'm in ceremony. So... I'm noticing all these horses and kingfishers there, and, but I'm paying no attention to the crows because they're so plentiful. So after a while, I start to feel like crow energy kind of coming in on me, and I'm like, oh, I can't really consider you a totem of this trip because you know, there's so many of you. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So I said, oh, okay, apologies. Please show me what is crow medicine. So I continued driving for some time, and almost once again forgot that I had asked that question and I'm coming up on the road behind a, a long truck and it's on a slow blind rise and I can see that I have enough time to safely pass this truck before going over the rise but I can also see that the line is solid so even though I can see that I'm safe it's officially illegal to come in front of the truck on that solid line. Nonetheless here we are in the middle of the country no one around I'm driving up, I overtake this car, and as I come across the, the solid line, in front of the truck, there are three police cars sitting there right next to each other, and all of them are looking down. None of them see me. 
And the crow said, that's crow medicine. It's invisibility medicine because it's so powerful. It's hidden in plain sight. It's right there all the time, but you can't see it. So that's crow medicine. And I was shown a few themes of things. In fact, I was um, once asked to finish a, a tobacco water blessing. I think it was at the time of the Dakota Pipeline and we were sitting in solidarity in a circle in Australia and everyone had this beautiful jug of water that was being passed around and blessed. And the woman running the circle asked me if I would you know, take the, the uh, water out to close it with tobacco. So I went outside with Mama Pacho and I did a blessing on the water. And always my practice is I don't end ceremony by ending the tobacco. The smoke tells me when we're done in ceremony. So I do the prayers and the blessings and the blowing that I'd like to do. And then I wait for the smoke to come to its natural end. And then I know we're done in ceremony. So I'm sitting there waiting for the rest of this tobacco to stop burning. And I'm letting my gaze relax through the water and looking at the ground through this glass jar of water. And the water starts explaining to me, can you see how you're looking at me, but you're looking right through me. I'm so clear. I'm here, but I'm hidden in plain sight. Whenever anybody makes a medicine or makes a cup of tea and you ask what the ingredients are, I'm always the one that's left out. If someone asks how do you make tea, you'd say, oh, a tea bag and sugar and milk. Because water is so powerful, we can't even see it. It's hidden in plain sight. So it explained to me that any kind of medicine that's hidden in plain sight like tobacco, like crow medicine, like, like cacao, like or any medicine of this kind, we can call it water medicine. So water medicine is a metaphorical way of saying something that's hidden in plain sight. So then we can infer birth medicine is something that's obvious and in plain sight. Anything that would be um, hidden in the invisible would be air medicine. You can't see it, it's right around us, but it's very powerful. We can't survive it. And anything that is uh, visible in the invisible is like fire. It's there, but you can't, at any one moment, you can't actually point to where it is. It's moving the whole time. It's ephemeral. So those four ways of putting it is a very powerful metaphorical way of speaking about the different kinds of plants and practices and beings that fit into those ways of looking at how certain medicines occupy certain realms of our consciousness and how we can make use of them how we can make use of something that's hidden in plain sight to emit a prayer. We can make a blessing or a prayer into water, and that has this very quantum ripple as it goes out or it gives a certain medicine to our body if we're taking it or if we're putting it in the garden. So that's a very beautiful way of moving the invisible water medicine. Obviously, actual despacho or haiwarikwi, as you'd say in Quechua, some kind of offering is an offering clear in plain sight that's like an earth medicine offering or something that's there but dissolves, you want to let it go, you acknowledge it, but you want it to turn to ash, fire medicine, or something that's private, uh, insular, infiltrating prayer in the more subtle realms of consciousness, that's air medicine. So that's one of the ways we can understand the power of tobacco. It's so powerful, we almost can't see it. And many traditions have acknowledged this and use it in very different ways. You would know from the practice uh, from snuff to uh, liquid down the nose to powder up the nose to using it as a poultice to protect wounds and disinfect areas to using it as like a, a colonic um, prevents colon cancer. There's so many different ways of using this because it's the spirit that sits behind and comes through the body of the plant. 
just like the spirit that sits behind you and comes through you in order to engage me or the spirits and ancestors that are using my body to speak through me and what I give permission to speak through me, which plants and which allies and which ancestors. So as things appear on the surface of reality is really a metaphor. So the metaphor of tobacco is really of this powerful, adaptive, um, shape-shifting, diplomatic warrior. And when we recognize it and use him as that, he can be an incredible ally, open doors in various levels of perception. Well, amazing, Leela. We we are almost at two hours, uh, so I know we're we're coming up near our our, our end time. Um, is there anything that we we didn't touch on that you'd like to to talk about before we come to a close? I think we've covered a lot. It feels like that might be quite dense and. Uh... Anything else that might interest people, you can often find on my website, which is fivepillarsofmedicine.com. And um, yeah, I feel like it's been a full and expansive crossing of, of all the levels. So I suppose that question I'll put back to you is there anything that you were hoping you would touch on that we can just do in the next, in the last five minutes here? I think, as you said, there was a lot of information there. Um, <clears throat> I think it's perfect, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we could go another two hours, so maybe at some point in the future we can even do a round two. Um, can you speak a little bit about your your personal work? I mean, if, if people resonate with things you say and, and they'd like to learn more um, or, or even work with you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is on your website, but could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. The main work I'm doing at the moment, I mean, I work in three camps. So given that I trained in transpersonal psychology, a lot of it is uh, talk therapy for a better way of saying it. But my preference after I trained therapeutically and I've continued to gain therapeutic skills was to apply that sometimes in a more coaching capacity. So depending on the need of the person and then often, of course, that will be inclusive of anything that might be ancestral or past life that comes through to it. Um, there are ancestral readings that I've done that I'm tending to do less and less of nowadays because I'm working with people in a different capacity. There are these ancestral readings and um, people are moving. Because I've been traveling in the past few months, I've left Australia and I've been moving a bit. I often hold in-person and online Five Pillars of Medicine workshops, which is a seven-week process and we have the introduction and then the five pillars, one pillar of medicine per week and the people get to sit in that pillar of medicine as it pertains to them. Where are you at in your body, in the earth of your life, in your ancestry, in your bones? I send some music as well for that to, to be really felt. What does that vibration feel like? And so on, we go through the levels of our being. And then the closing ceremony at the end. So what I'm doing now, before I settle more deeply as I relocate, is I'm running one-on-one -on -one with those. So people who want to go on a one-on-one five-pillar journey, we do a therapeutic or coaching session with where they're at with that pillar. So that's about six or seven week process depending on how they want to couch that and then they can be carried on sessions after that. Yeah, so that's the main way I'm working and then of course there is um, still the medicine work but it's taken more of a one-on-one -on -one capacity in the form of psychedelic assisted therapy and that has to be of course in person so people want to work in that way and they want to be where I am speak about that um i have worked with a lot of medicines in the past but the one that i'm preferring most at the moment is mdma because of the amazing 
capacity it has to give such compassion and space to the nervous system to remold it and take a different shape. So PTSD mainly and MDMA is a beautiful combination that I hope to see. So at the moment, as I'm traveling and immigrating and slowly finding where I'm going to settle, those are the main two ways, the one-on-one therapy or five pillars process or this in-person deep therapy, which is really incredibly beautiful and humbling work. Well, amazing. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing, Leela. Um, You have a a beautiful presence and and, and just a, a wealth of information and I think a really beautiful ability to to weave this information together which i i think is really um one of the signs of wisdom is 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 being able to to weave different ideas different medicines different different worldviews into something that that's digestible that, that people can understand and resonate with so so thank you very much for for your work and and for what you do and who you are um I'll, I'll put a link to your your website in the show notes and um and i i really wish you the best and uh i i, I hope um our paths will cross at some point or or, or you know at, at least maybe uh uh keeping in touch so thank you again i i, I really appreciate this beautiful thank you jason and same to you thanks for all that you do and how you offer sharings to the world at large mm-hmm. well, wonderful thank you leela all right everyone that's it i hope you enjoyed that conversation with leela uh it was very fascinating for me to sit down and talk with her uh, i had listened to a, a couple of her talks before and i i think she, again she just does a wonderful job of um, expressing herself and expressing ideas so i knew this would be a, a really good conversation and I, I very much hope you all enjoyed it um, as always if you're able to support this podcast that's a really big help to me patreon is a really good option you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month Uh, There's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all the patrons, to all the people helping that way, as always, thank you very much for your support. I I really appreciate it. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you're not able to do that, uh, just helping with the algorithms is a really big help in getting the show out to a bigger audience. So if you're viewing this on YouTube or Rumble, uh, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, those things all really help. And then if you're listening listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, following the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review. Um, this is one of the latter episodes I'm shooting before I begin to uh, run a, a pretty long dieta. Uh, so I'm not sure the following guests that I have coming up. Uh, I, I have a few people in mind, but I'm still trying to get all of the logistics figured out. Um, but hopefully in the next episode, I'll, I'll have that and I can let you all know. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for the support. I hope this finds you all well, and I will see you all on the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.